speaker is Dr. Rune Rasmussen, who is a historian of religion and, and now an independent scholar. And tonight he's going to talk about unvikinging the past. Gosh, that's a bit hard to say, unvikinging the past. Thanks. Great, thanks. Is my sound all right? Cool. Uh, yeah, great. Right, people all over the world are crazy about Vikings. My ancestors, <laughs> uh, I'm Danish, so I'm supposed to think of myself in the image of these Iron Age coast pirates that historically existed in a rather short window around a millennia ago. Now, the Viking as we know it was invented in the 19th century with the explicitly stated purpose of producing nationalist self-image. Uh, and I think of this I think that this project has contributed to implementing what um, uh, Graham Harvey calls the modern separatist agenda, that partly unsuccessful attempt to deanimate matter and disembody minds. Um, yeah, because, because it is about an interior essence rather than, for instance, a kinship relation to other in the land, a relation that reaches out of yourself. So my working thesis is that these national essences uh, have some sort of link to that part of modernization that has to do with rejecting animist knowledge. And that's what I'm basically interested in, the study of rejected Euro-traditional animist knowledge. And one very important part of the rejection processes is this encasing animism in this distant past, where it becomes very much a bygone uh, for once, and it also becomes part of this sort of noble savage imagery, uh, this essentialism, which is continuously being renewed. Here is imagery from the TV series Vikings. Apparently, reinventing Vikings as essential whiteness is a rather sexy thing. You know, it seems you need underwear models to do it. <laughs> but this fetishizing uh, actually develops while intangible and tangible animist heritage is continuously under attack, in fact. And there are many examples of this. Uh, the landscape around the village where I grew up, uh, perhaps th 30 burial mounds. Nej, Pute, du skal ikke komme her endnu. Nej, Pute, du skal ikke komme her endnu. Jeg sidder lige midt i noget. Sorry about that. My little girl just came. Yeah. Uh, um, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> The landscape around my the village where I grew up, perhaps 30 Bronze Age burial mounds had been plowed down. Uh, there are two left, probably four Bronze, Bronze Age burial mounds just in the fields of my father's farms in the last perhaps 100 years have been, been destroyed. Ancient hubs of transforming land connectedness, sacred sites that are perhaps three or 4,000 years old. And I think there's some sort of positive relation uh, to that enclosing of animist culture in this distant past, where it comes to serve as an imagery to produce this interiorized nationalist uh, essence, rather than doing what animism is supposed to do, which is uh, creating reciprocal transform transformative respect for relating between humans and the land we inhabit. Scandinavian animism is deemed in uh, and illustrious, illustriously nationalist if and only if it is a Viking. And it's deemed 
out if it is not Viking, a process that I've called Viking washing, uh, rejecting traditional knowledge from our self-image uh, because it isn't Vikings. Just one example of this traditional knowledge that has been sort of flushed out of cultural memory for not being sufficiently Viking is the runic calendar, a beautiful reckoning system where time is animated as, as a transforming meanings really that spring from the cycles of the sun and the moon but it didn't originate in the viking age note how we would intuitively think that runes have to probably be something that's super viking but there were runes for close to two millennia in different parts of northern europe and the viking age is 300 years so the viking concept seems to be simultaneously over owning this piece of North European culture while uh, uh, motivating its rejection for not being Viking enough. And boy, I, I haven't even start, started talking here about the role of racisms and ultranationalisms and all that stuff and how that is enforcing marginalization and rejection of uh, Euro traditional culture. Right. Now, my perspective on um, uh, North European traditional knowledge uh, means that I'm, I'm sort of trying to counter this trend. Uh, for instance, I've been looking at national symbols of, uh, of my country for that rejected animist knowledge that's, that has been pushed away in the emergence or in the construction of such symbols. Uh, there are other models for self-image and social coherence that is sort of in the history of those symbols. For instance, totemism, which is a, a very clear example of an animist form of culture that's is connectedness with specific others in the land. The Little Mermaid, for instance, uh, the root of this symbol is tales of totemic marriage between humans and perhaps a seal or a sea spirit. And this goes all the way back to heathen mythology. Medieval ballads recount how the human breaking this marriage results in collapse and madness in human communities. This figure is then uh, taken in uh, by national romanticism as a personification of the state, Denmark, and with Hans Christian Andersen's tale, the broken relation is being naturalized. The human deserts the mermaid, and she now rests in a kind of cosmic tristesse about the modernist non-relation, which Andersen narrates as the natural and right state of affairs. She's decidedly not supposed to be in relation with humanity, and that's sort of the core of, of his story. And with this rejection, we have reached the contemporary modern national symbol, which encapsulates our seclusion from the land, this broken bond of love, but also, the, in fact, the longing of the land to, to become subjective through relating with us, right? Um, yeah, and th this is an important symbol and I've basically been repeating and, and expanding on what I've said here now and talking about it. Uh, but in my view, that's not enough talking about it uh, because um, I believe that it is sort of implied in, in animist, uh, new animist thinking that animist knowledge is realized in actual engagement. And therefore, my idea of unvikinging the past cannot stay with these reflections or perhaps insights. Uh, so I, at some point, I, I decided to have a try to have a go at the, at the national flag here in, in Denmark. According to myth, this crusader flag was given as a blessing from God to the army of the Danish King Valdemar the Conqueror, who were busy, busy massacring some 
pagan Estonians about 800 years ago. But the thing is that Valdemar's father, Valdemar the Great, he was called, he also had a decisive battle. And in that battle, the sign of victory that came down from sky, from the sky was not a flag, but like in, in the former pre-Christian age, it was the ancient trickster shaman ancestor of his kinship group, ravens. And this is an ex extremely important kinship relation in Northern Europe, particularly in Southern Scandinavia, and I think in, in England. Um, ravens have been steeply demonized through his history. In Denmark, they were named the Apostle of Satan. Uh, this um, being became no longer this totemic kinship and uh, shamanic uh, subjectivity iconized in the human-faced entangled in the raven, but it became this evil cursed being. being. So I did some research on this. I did a, some research on the North European raven totemism, and I presented it uh, in different uh, ways. Uh, but what I also tried to do was to, to bring this into practice, this insight uh, in the rejected animism behind this symbolic development, uh, which is why I introduced the contemporary raven flag, uh, which is here being used by an Extinction Rebellion activist in, in uh, front of the parliament building. This was not conceived as a national Danish thing, but more as a kind of a general symbol of connectedness, the trickster voice of our age that symbolizes recovering this kind of totemic kinship between humanity and others in the land. Right. So particularly uh, this symbol here is, is, is interesting in this respect, because when we talk about unvikinging the past, because the raven flag or the raven banner is in its original historic context, in fact, a rather very Viking thing. Uh, but using it like this tries to take it out of this seclusion in the distant past, out of also associations with war and conquest and whatever, and dialogues with actual meanings in the raven, North European raven symbolism that makes it uh, into a, a contemporary relevant people, uh, relevant symbol for, for people today. And that seems to be somehow working. Uh, people are in fact in, in some level sort of catching on to this idea after I uh, introduced it. Uh, so yeah, this is an, an example of how I'm trying to deal with the problematic thing of the past. Um, but it also implies another question that I don't have an answer to yet. And that is, is this whole Viking thing, is it only actually this problematic kind of seclusive rejection function that, uh, that, that serves to basically uh, dispel a disenchant almost, you know, or is there also something, is there also more positive motive, motivational imagery that leads people or can lead people towards recovering uh, the kinds of uh, animist kinship that I'm sort of aiming at? And uh, yeah, that was just a little uh, opening question to sort of perhaps modify my, my other point. That's what I had to say. Thanks. Fantastic. Thank you, Rune. That was fascinating.